Second thing that some of you don't know, probably more of you don't know this one, it's also Pentecost Sunday. All right, it's the seven weeks after uh, Christ's death, burial, resurrection is Pentecost. And the memorial of that, the church was started that day. And on that day, not just two people, but thousands of people gave their life to the Lord. And we're going to talk about it at the very end of the service and challenge you, man, what a better time to make that decision, to be able to remember, I gave my life to the Lord on Pentecost weekend. And I always be reminded about that every year. Thursday, at the end of service, a, a, a lady came up and talked to me about that. We sat and, sat and talked, and she's getting baptized Thursday night. And, 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 man, it's just so exciting to see what God's doing. So I'm excited you're here. We're going to be in the book of 1 Samuel today, chapter 7, if you want to get that out or get on your phone, whatever. Let me make one really quick announcement, all right, before we dig into this, okay? Um, we're really excited. Some of you won't, won't think it's exciting. We think it's exciting. Stay with me on this. We found out this week that Tiffany, sitting right over here, has been our children's pastor for three years, uh, is going back into the public school. She has accepted a position uh, at uh, Southside Elementary as their frisky. And I, it all stands for I'm family resource something, something, something. I know it means she gets to work with families. She won't be in a classroom like she was before. Uh, she gets to work with families, families in need, families to help. And the beautiful part of that is that's been a huge part of our initiative as a church in our Together initiative and then Michael McLaughlin and Jason are working with uh, getting us into the schools and the Friskies are kind of like our front door into that and so to have one of them be one of our own is a really, really, really cool thing and it opens up a lot of possibilities for us to be able to help. Now the only thing that's going to change is that Tiff won't be here weekdays during the week doing the behind the scenes stuff. We're building a team. Stay with us. We'll get back with you on that one. But but the great thing is on Sundays and Thursdays she's still going to be here with your kids and be the face of the program and, and they're going to get to see her and we're just going to get other people to do some of the other stuff she does Monday through Friday behind the scene so that she can be in both places doing great things and so we're we're really excited about that at first when I first heard there was a move I kind of like my heart and then we figured out okay here's how we can do this and it's going to be good. It's going to be good. So we want to let you guys know that. And the schools have been really gracious. And, and we want to thank them because uh, they agreed to keep this information on the lowdown until like after we could talk about it. So you'll see stuff on social media this week from the schools letting, making that announcement. And we're really excited. So here's, here's what I want you guys to do. All right? I didn't tell you I was going to do this. Here's what I want you guys to do. When that stuff hits social media, blow it up. I mean, blow, I mean, like on the comment, you need to be talking about this is the best thing ever, all right? And, and let's, let's, let's do that, all right? And the, and the really cool thing about it, it actually goes along with what, what I'm going to talk about today. Because what this does is Tiffany's already had a great influence on kids here and will continue to have. But this gives her a position of influence. It gives her a position of leadership and influence in what I believe to be the greatest mission field in our country today, the public school systems in America. And now it's like we, we, we want to be a sending church, not, not just a church that accumulates, but to go back out and to make a difference. And this is an opportunity to do that because we need to be people of influence. In fact, let me ask you, who or what is the biggest influence in your life right now? What influences or who influences your day-to-day decisions? 
your coming and going and your choices, things you purchase, places you go, movies you see. Who influences those things? Because leadership and influence are critically important. I got an Amazon this week, and I don't know if you know this, if you do a search on Amazon, type in whatever you want, and right below the search bar, it'll tell you like how many options or how many things that you could get from Amazon that fit that search that you just did. So I typed in leadership books this week, and they're, they're, they're like crawler, I guess maxes out because it said more than 50,000. Right now on Amazon, there are more than 50,000 books on leadership. And so I thought, what are what it is for influence? Typed in influence. It wasn't 50,000, but it's still more than 35,000 books on influence. So just on Amazon, somewhere above 50 and above 35,000 books on leadership and influence. Apparently nobody's buying the books. Because it's pretty obvious we're living in a deficiency of leadership and influence in our world today. But, but there's these people, like, do you know that this is an actual occupation now? That there are people, when they fill out something like that, it says, ask for their occupation, they put influencer. I don't know, I can't find the school where you get the degree in that. But there are people that if you look on their Facebook profile, they're like, what occupation? Influencer. Well, okay, fine. And, and they actually, some of them really do influence. In fact, especially in the younger generations, the Gen Z generation, Cantar, uh, which is a research company, said that 70% of Gen Z social media users follow at least one self-identified influencer on some media platform. And they're not only likely to follow the influencers, they're also more inclined to act on the recommendations from their favorite influencer, their favorite online personality. And so who are you following? Who's influencing your life today? The, the, the statistics say that about 26% of the general population are following and listening to influencers, but in that Gen Z, that younger adult generation, that it's about 44% that are making major life decisions based on influencers. There are so many people that, that would self-proclaim themselves to be gurus who speak often on topics of leadership, and we've got all this at our fingertips and we're living in a leadership nightmare, a deficiency of leadership. Too many leaders who believe that their position mandates their influence rather than influence enabling them to be effective leaders. They lead by the my way or highway kind of mentality of leadership. Teddy Roosevelt, when he was president, said this, and I love this quote from him. He said, leaders lead and the boss drives. Now, I don't want to ask for a show of hands because some of your bosses are in the room, so don't do that, all right? But, but you know the difference. Some of you experience the, the boss that doesn't ever do anything but drives everybody else to do everything, and that's no fun. That's no good at all. John Maxwell, a leadership guru, a true leadership guru, said, leadership is not about titles, positions, or flow charts. It's about, I love this, one life influencing another. That's what leadership is. So we're about halfway through this study on Samuel's life. Samuel, a life of leadership and influence. And last week, Ray did an awesome, awesome job, but he left us off at the end of chapter three. And Samuel has been anointed as the judge and he's gonna take over. And then you get to chapter four and for three chapters, Samuel disappears from right now. I don't think he disappeared from the scene. But he disappeared from what we find in Scripture because I think people stopped going to him 
for his leadership and influence and started making their own choices, their own decisions. And, and in fact, what we see in First Samuel chapter 4, 5, and 6 is a loss of focus. They have lost focus. Now, here are some things that happen. The Israelites were a lot like our culture today. Here, and here's what I mean. They're like our culture today. When bad things happen, like 9-11, like COVID, they run to God. I mean, do you realize that when, when, when 9-11 happened, and some of you were here, we didn't have this building, we were still over in, the, in what's now the stew, and we had a worship service that night. We pulled stuff together that night because why? Because everybody was at panic level 10. All right? Remember that? And, and, and the next Sunday, houses of worship in America were packed, absolutely packed the Sunday after 9-11. By October, things were back to normal. Uh, well, okay, yeah, no more planes, we're good. No more planes, we're good. COVID hits. And yet, while we weren't, you know, encouraged to come to houses of worship, although, praise God, in our scenario, we were only down for six weeks compared to six and seven months and a year for some places, but we weren't encouraged to come. But do you know that during those, especially, especially during the early months of COVID, that when you factor in the online streaming presences and all the different platforms, there were more people experiencing worship in America than at any time in the history of our country. Why? Everybody was scared. Everybody's scared. The world's coming to an end. Planes are flying into buildings. We've got a disease. We're all going to die. And all of a sudden, everybody wants to run to God. And then things go back to normal. The Israelite nation is just like that. When things get bad, they want God. When things are going good, eh, we're good. We're good. We're good. And, and, and their, their comfortable attitude kept leading them into problems. They, the Israelite nation had gone through some times of prosperity and ego and started feeling really good about themselves. And God said, okay, go spend 400 years with the Egyptians. And so they went into did you, did you catch what I said there? 400 years of bondage to the Egyptian slaves for 400 years. We have a horrible uh, mark on our nation's history of slavery, but it wasn't 400 years. The Israelites were slaves for 400 years. We, we can't wait four hours or four weeks for some. So 400 years, they're making bricks and all kinds of like tough stuff and, and just totally at the mercy of the Egyptian people because their ego got in the way. And then finally, God says to Moses, go talk to Pharaoh and I'll give you the right words. In fact, take your brother Aaron with you. And they go back several times. Y'all know the story. They go several times, Pharaoh, let my people go. Finally, Pharaoh says, all right, get out of here. And they let him go. And then he decides to change his mind, start chasing them. They get to the Red Sea. Red Sea opens. There's uh, Israelite nation walks through on dry ground, Red Sea, get to the other side. Sea closes up. The Egyptian army is drowned. And you're like, woo, yeah. And then some influencer in the crowd. That's what there was. Some influencer in the crowd said, I'm hungry. What are we going to eat? Moses, 
I don't see no drive-thrus over on this side. At least over there, they fed us all the time. And suddenly one influencer becomes 10 and the influence starts to spread. And all of a sudden they're whining and they're complaining. They're dissatisfied. And so God said, okay, take a walk. For the next 40 years, take a walk. Until all this generation dies off, take a walk. And then... Then things get better. The, the, one, the influencers die off. And new influencers come up and they want to follow God's plan and follow God's leading. They get to the edge of the Jordan River. Uh, Joshua, Joshua is the uh, leader now. You know, Moses has passed the baton. Joshua leads in. They cross the Jordan River. They come up to Jericho. They've got this amazing battle. God gives them a battle plan that doesn't make any sense. He says, when you get to Jericho, march around the city once a day for six days. And on the seventh day, march around the city seven times, first six times times, don't do anything but march. Seventh time, when you finish that lap around, blow your trumpets and just see what happens. And archaeologists have found the city of Jericho, and some of you know this, we've talked about it before. They found the city of Jericho, and it's unlike any other city they ever found. Every other city that had been destroyed by conquest, that had walls around the city, when they uncovered the walls of the city, all the walls had toppled in. Makes sense. Outside army charging in, they knocked the walls down, they invade the city. But when they found Jericho, all the walls were blown out. How in the world did the walls blow out from the inside? God said, now! And blew the walls out. But he also told them this. You think, wow, this is great. But God told him, he said, when you, when you finish up with Jericho, I want you to destroy everything. I don't want to leave a stone unturned. I don't want to leave a person living, an animal living, and do not take anything from Jericho. We've got to wipe this place out as if it never existed. Everybody's good with that except one dude. Literally, one. One dude named Achan. That's, the rules don't apply to me, just everybody else. And that gold looks really good. And so he decides to snatch some of the gold, take it back to his tent, put it underneath, hide it underneath a blanket in his tent. Next time, the next day or two, they go out for another battle. The next battle is against this little tiny like crossroads place. No walls, no fortification, just this little thing, a small army, a place called Ai. And they destroy the Israelite army. How's that happen? What's that? Well, one guy. One guy didn't follow God's leading, didn't follow God's plan, thought, thought, oh yeah, God said it, but it applies to everybody else other than me. You know anybody like that now? Don't point. And we live in a world of people who think the rules don't apply to me, whether they be civil rules or biblical rules. They don't apply to me. Achan didn't follow the rules, and so the army lost, and when they just found out, he was killed. His whole family was killed, and all of his stuff was white bare, that there was no remembrance because he didn't follow God. And so now this whole up and down and up and down and up and down, they start going on in the promised land and they've got this thing called the Ark of the Covenant. Now I'm not talking about the one that, I'm not talking about the Ark that Noah was on. This is the Ark of the Covenant that God instructed them how to build that represented the presence of God at that time in their life. And it was just kind of think like a, almost like small casket or barrel chest kind of thing and had poles that the priest carried the poles because you weren't allowed to touch the Ark of the Covenant and you definitely weren't allowed to look inside of the Ark of the Covenant and there was a seat actually like it looked like a saddle kind of thing on top of it that represented a place where God sat all right the Ark the Ark had no power but it represented the one who had power okay the problem was the people began to think the power was in the ark, not in the one that the ark symbolized. 
Okay, and so, but so, as they went through the promised land, the priests carried the ark, as they carried the ark, they got victory, they take over, they take as long as, they, you know, and the ark, that's, that's what's good. It's, it's kind of like, it becomes their genie in a bottle. It's like, okay, we're going into battle, everybody like, don't touch it, but walk by the ark, and we're going to go, let's go win. So then they end up at this place called Ebenezer. Ebenezer. It's in 1 Samuel chapter 4. And at Ebenezer, there is a battle that's going to ensue. And they put the ark now in the tabernacle. Tabernacle is the prelude to the temple. They don't have the temple yet. It hasn't been built. Solomon hasn't built the temple. But they get this tabernacle. And for lack of a better thing, just think like giant enclosed area, campground. I mean, that's something like that, all right? It's a tabernacle, but it's a special place. It's where they met God until they got their temple. And that's where they kept the ark. So they go out to battle, and the ark is back in the tabernacle, and they go out to battle the Philistines, Ebenezer, and the Philistines kill 4,000 Israelites in one day. That night, they're kind of trying to lick their wounds and recap, and the leaders of the Israelite army go, oh, we forgot the ark. (laughs) We didn't have the ark with us. That's why we lost. We didn't have the ark with us. Once again, they're acknowledging and understanding that there is something about the ark that is very special, but they're looking at it as this token automatic guarantee of victory. Now, the interesting thing is when they send back for the ark, they send back to get the ark and have people bring the ark out. The Philistines who are pagans, they see the ark coming and they get scared. So it says that they had at least a little bit of belief in God's power because it was like, uh-oh, here comes that ark thing. We're in trouble. Now, the Philistine leaders used that as a motivational tool and said, yeah, you guys better get really ready to fight tomorrow because they got the ark now. If you don't, man, we're in trouble. And so they did. The Philistines did. The, the Israelites thought because they brought the ark out, there was a victory assured, and it wasn't. And the Philistines were afraid that it might be, so they fought extra hard. See, the Israelites believed more in the symbol of, they they believed more in the symbol of the ark than what the symbol symbolized. Here's the problem. People and churches often try to live on the memories of the past blessings of God. We remember things, and that's great, but we remember things from the past, and we think, unless it can go back to that, it's just not ever going to be the same. And they're like, I remember 1974, the day I gave my life to Jesus. It was at a revival at our church. And we sang all six verses of Just As I Am because we did that every Sunday at the end of the service. And I went forward that Sunday and gave my life to Christ. And if we could only go back to singing Just As I Am, all six verses every week, things were like they were in 1974. Everything would be okay. Guess what, gang? 1974 ain't coming back. Neither is 1994, 2004, 2014, 2024. We don't know. Come Lord Jesus, we'll see. All right? But here, if you put your faith in a song, in a style of preaching, in pews versus seats, in in stained glasses windows versus theater lights, you've missed the point. You're putting your faith in the ark and not what the ark symbolizes. And so they get destroyed. In fact, that second day, the Philistines show up and it's not good. See, here's what we have to remember. We have to remember that spiritual victories come through our continued relationship with God and we can't live in the past or struggle to get back to it. 
We got to keep things fresh and new. So the, the Philistines attack the second day. The ark's there, but oh well. Philistines killed 30,000 that day. Not 4,000 like the day before, but this time 30,000. But, but the ark's here. What happened? Well, actually, the ark's not there because as part of the battle that day, while they're killing everybody, they captured the ark. They captured the ark. The Philistines now have the ark. You, you, anybody ever grow up in a neighborhood where you play capture the flag? All right? They captured the ark. All right? And they took it back with them. All right? 30,000 people died. Two of the 30,000 that died that day were a couple of guys named Hophni and Phinehas. They were Eli's sons. That fulfilled prophecy that we talked about a couple weeks ago on Mother's Day. We talked about Eli the priest and his evil sons and how God spoke and said, those guys are both going to die on the same day. Well, this is the day. Both of them die on that day. They're killed in the battle. And then the word gets back to Eli. Eli is 98 years old and he's blind. He's back at the tabernacle and the tabernacle is you know we're not talking about like flying across an ocean we're talking about you know a few thousand yards down you know it's where the battle's going on and Eli can hear the roars of the Philistine army and he kind of knows what's happening he knows it's not good He's 98 years old, blind, sitting outside the tabernacle on a chair. And the messengers come to tell him what's going on. And he knows, but then they tell him the news about the ark. They tell him, your sons have been killed and they capture the ark. And the Bible tells us in 1 Samuel chapter 4 and verse 18 that Eli fell over in his chair because he was old and fat. You can't make that stuff up. It's really in there, right? He fell over in his chair because he was blind, old, and fat and died. So now we've got other 30,000. We got Hophnius, uh, Hophni, Phinehas. Eli is now dead. And Phinehas's wife was pregnant. She was close to delivery and she was pregnant. And when she got news, the defeat in the battle and that her husband had been killed, she went into labor. She had complications. She died giving birth to their son. But before she died, she was able to name her son and she gave him the name Ichabod. You know somewhere around Hebrew middle school, he's wishing mom had just gone on before she could name him. But anyway, he's named Ichabod. And because she gave him that name because it meant where is the glory? Because what she realized was the glory of God was not in their presence in the way they were living their life. They were making choices that had separated from that. But now God was still there. But they weren't receiving the blessings. The hand of God, though, is still present. Go to chapter 5 real quick. I'm just catching you up to get to 7, okay? Chapter 5. All right, now the Philistines had the Ark of the Covenant. The Philistines had basically five cities that they ruled. One of them was Ashdod, and that's where they took the Ark. They had temples in each one of their cities. And... Hay fever in Kentucky is just awful. Anyway, they, they, they took the ark to Ashdod. They put it in the temple, all right? They put it in the temple. Yeah, big victory. Ooh, we got the ark here. It's in the temple with all of their pagan gods, Dragon and all kinds of other gods. And they go home for the night. They come back the next morning, come back the next morning, and they go in and the ark's there, but all, all of their gods are laying face first on the ground and their heads are broken off. They've all toppled. And they're like, oh, this isn't good. 
this isn't good. And so, so their theory is, okay, let's get this thing out of here. The people asked God, like, get it. So instead of doing it, they send it to the next Philistine city. And so they send it down the road and they put it in the temple, the next city. And sure enough, the next morning, same thing. One more city, they get to Ekron, third city. They put it in there. Sure enough, same thing. This is not good. Every place the ark goes, the pagan gods are being destroyed. Here is something that is amazing. Because along the way too, the people were getting these tumors and afflictions. And they kept wanting to just move the ark to another place. Here's what, I'm just dreaming for a minute. Dream with me for a minute. The Philistines have the Ark of the Covenant. They have the symbol of God. They've got, they like captured the flag. They've got it. It's right there. They walk in and all their pagan gods have been destroyed and the symbol of the God is still there. Do you think anybody in the room might have gone, this is probably the best thing. This is the winner. No, these are like, we well, get rid of it. How many people today get this close to God and then want to get rid of him? They're this close. They are this close. They've got God right there. God's winning victories and then they ship him off down the street because they don't want to deal with it. So they ship him off down the street over and over again. They finally, they say, okay, like, we got to get rid of this thing completely. Seven months go by, they're passing the ark around and things not going well for them. And so they're like, we got to get this thing back to the Israelites now. And, and their leaders, at least the leaders will say, okay, we can't just send it back. We got to send back like some kind of apology as well. And, and so we need to get, bring all your gold. We need to make these little, we need to make statues. We need to make reminders. We need to make apology things. And so they melted down all the gold and they made these statues of tumors and rats. <laughs> I think that threw a little bit. That, you can't make this stuff up. They make these gold statues of tumors and rats because that's what they were afflicted with. And they put them inside the ark and they sit there like, okay, we got to make this meeting. And I just kind of imagine this Sunday's meeting, the, the, the Philistine people carrying the ark and the Israelite leaders coming out to get the ark. And it's kind of like in wild west and they're meeting with their horses to exchange a prisoner on some dusty road. And they get there and they exchange it. And the Philistines, like as soon as they give it over, like they're hightailing it out of there. And you would think, you would think that the Israelites were just overjoyed and thrilled and now we're going to follow God. We've got the ark back. But one of the things that God had told them was never open the ark. Never look inside of the ark. Did any of you watch Indiana Jones? Remember Indiana Jones? And they opened the ark and all the guys that were around the ark, their faces melted. All right? That was how they did it cinematically. I don't know what, but, but on that day, when they got the ark, back, 70 guys that came to get the ark looked inside the ark. I got a real issue with number 60 through 70. Like, okay, after the first 50 dropped dead, how many of you are going to keep looking in there? But 70 men looked in the ark and died that day. They finally, they get, they get it back. They take it back to the temple or to the tabernacle. They get it back in the tabernacle. Now we're at chapter seven. All that was intro. We're going to finish the rest of it up really quick. All right. Really quickly. We get back because now they've lost focus, but now they are going to regain the focus. And it's all here in chapter seven. Chapter seven, Samuel's back in the story because they're looking at him for leadership and influence. And basically there's three things that he tells them in here that we're going to see real quickly that he tells them that you need to do when you've lost focus and you need to regain focus in your life. When things aren't going well and you realize it and you want to get back focused on God. And Samuel is going to teach us that they need to repent, 
Secondly, fast and pray. And thirdly, acknowledge God. Let's deal with them one at a time. First of all, here in verse 3 of 1 Samuel chapter 7, here's what Samuel said. If you want to return to the Lord with all of your hearts, get rid of your foreign gods and your images of Asherah, the foreign idols. Turn your hearts to the Lord and obey him alone. Obey him alone. Let God be the sole influencer in your life. Not what culture says, not what some social media person says. Let him be your influencer and he will rescue you from the Philistines. See, the Israelites wanted God's blessing. Who wouldn't? But they wanted to keep on doing the things that they were doing and keep on accumulating, keep on keeping idols of false gods, doing things that, that were pagan that God clearly had told them, you don't need to live that way. That's not the right way to live. You need to quit doing that. And if you quit doing that, if you, that's repentance, you turning away from sin and turning toward God. If you will do that, you will receive my blessings. We need to repent. Because some of us, if we're really honest, are holding on to some stuff that we need to let go of. We're holding on to some physical stuff that we need to let go of. We're holding on to some attitudes that we need to let go go of. We're doing things that we know God said don't do those things. And we need to stop doing those things. We need to repent if we want to return to the Lord with all our hearts. It's not a word game. It's not a show up and get your Jesus on on Sunday and then go do you. That's not how this thing works. So Samuel teaches us repentance. I don't care where you've been, what you've done, who you've done it with, come back to God and repent. Second thing, fast and pray. Fast and pray. Look at verse 5. Then Samuel said, gather all of Israel at Mizpah, and I will pray to the Lord for you. So they gathered at Mizpah, and in a great ceremony, they drew water from a well and poured it out before the Lord. They also went without food. That's called fasting. They went without food all day and confessed what they had sinned, that they had sinned against the Lord. So the first thing they had done was repent. Now it's a time to fast and to pray because guess what? The Philistines were still going to attack. In fact, by the time this happens, they've assembled on the hillside above them. It wasn't a matter of you to turn your life back to God and you'll never be attacked again. Guys, that's why in the back, when we get in the back, like this morning, when I was standing back there with Megan and Bobby before they were baptized, I'm telling them, guys, get ready. Guys, get ready. Because the attacks are coming. The enemy is coming after you. The attacks aren't going to stop on your life. The things that you're tempted to do, in fact, they might get greater for a season because God does, or the, Satan doesn't want you to get strong. And he knows if you live with God for long enough that you won't need no ark, that you know that the power is in God and your relationship with God and not on some symbol of that relationship and you'll be victorious and and so he's going to come after you strong, strong. And sure enough, that day the Philistines attacked and the Israelites wore them out. Not because the ark was there, but because they had repented and fasted and prayed. And so that day at Ebenezer, 
the Israelite armor, army won a great battle. You know that song, that hymn we sing, Come Thou Found of Every Blessing? There's a verse in that hymn that you sing it and you're like, what does that even mean? Where it says, here I raise my Ebenezer. That's this. That's, it's at Ebenezer because what, what, what Samuel did was after the victory, he raised a monument to remind them of what God had done in their life. They built an, a monument at Ebenezer. They raised an Ebenezer so they could be reminded because we need reminders. We need, remind, we need to acknowledge God. And so what happened on that day in that battle is in verse 10. And it's really cool. And here's where we can see Pentecost coming in. In verse 10 of 1 Samuel 7, it says, On that day, the, the, the voice, the day the Lord thundered. I, I wish it had been one of those stormy days. Like if, if I could have orchestrated it, right when I said thundered, we heard one of those big booms like we do sometimes. That would have been so cool. But anyway, I didn't have it. <laughs> Just been cool. Like, think about that. So the Lord thundered. That day the Lord thundered. Remember the day of Pentecost, what happened? In Acts chapter 2, very verse 1, the very first thing happened on the day of Pentecost, long before the, the gift of tongues, Holy Spirit, any of that stuff, the very first thing that happened as the Holy Spirit's arriving, it says there was a sound of a mighty rushing wind. See, God has a way of showing up and making his presence known in the situations in your life if you're looking for it. He has a way of showing up and, and knowing it, and we need to acknowledge that, and we need some reminders. And we're, we're about done. In the Bible, they built monuments as reminders. You've got some milestones in your life. So, some things that are reminders of God's faithfulness to you. Some, some dates a lot of times. In the Bible, when they had those, these things, they built Ebenezer monuments, whatever you want to call them. And they built them as reminders. God showed up. God showed up. God showed up. Like, and you know, what are some milestone dates in your life? Your birth, you remember yours. You don't remember your spouse's, but you remember yours, all right? And, and I would encourage you to remember your spouse's as well and your kids and all this. But birthdays are important. Wedding day, you better remember that one. If you're married, remember that date. That's an important date. Have some kind of milestone reminder, anniversary celebration. Your baptism date, that's why for Megan and Bobby today, May 28th, 2023, will always be a special day for the rest of their life. It's a day. For those of us that have battled addictions, our sobriety date, our clean date is an important date because we need to remember when God showed up and we realized that we were powerless to do it on our own and that there was one that could restore our lives to sanity and we gave our life over to him. We need to remember that day because it's an important day and we need to build monuments to that to celebrate our milestones and acknowledge what God has done in our lives. First Samuel chapter 7. So how you doing? Sound like Joey over here. How you doing? How you doing in your relationship with God right now? How's your walk with God right now? Are you walking close to him? Are you growing in Christ and moving forward, making progress? Or maybe have you plateaued and even stepped backward? See, I got good news for you. God wants to be in relationship with you. He he sent Jesus so that we could be restored to right relationship with him. And he wants that relationship with you. And if you're missing out, if you're missing that, you're missing the best part of what God has for you. So why not... Get the presence of God. Repent. Fast and pray. Acknowledge what he's done in your life. Because here's the deal. Just like those individuals, like Achan was a member of the Israelite army, those individual men that looked into the ark when they shouldn't and they died, they were members of the Israelite army. You're a member of an army. 
You're a member of the army of God if you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And if you worship here, you're a member of the army at Shelby Christian Church that is sent here to make a difference in this community. But understand this, the church can't be the church without being in right relationship with God and every member working to get into that right relationship. And right now, as much as any time in history, I think God wants the church to be the church and to make a difference in the world. So let's get ready for battle. When you came in today, you should have gotten a white card. Little white card, if you did get it out right now. If you got a white card as you're coming in here, get out right now. If you didn't get one, get your phone out and go to notes. You can type them there, all right? And then get a card and write it, because the card's important. Here's what I want you to do. I want to ask you three questions. I want you to write those on your card or type them in your phone, but you answer your own questions. You answer your own question. You're not answering for the person sitting next to you, the person back home, you. Question number one is this. What do you need to repent of today? Just like Samuel called them to repent and get rid of the stuff in their life that didn't need to be there. What do you need to get rid of? What are some physical things? Like, Kim and I have been married almost 37 years. When we got married, we went to Cancun on our, on our honeymoon. And it was a great trip. And, and some of you have been there before. And when we were there, you know, in addition to the gulf and the beauty and all that, like, we did some sightseeing. We went to Chichen Itza. It's a Mayan Indian ruins outside of Cancun. And it's really cool. And it's got the, you can hear about the history of the Mayan Indians. And they had these temples. Their temples were pyramids. They had this temple right in the middle of it. That's this pyramid. And you can climb the steps on the outside. We were young and dumb. And so we climbed all the way to the top. And then we climbed all the way back down. We survived that. So we decided we'd go inside. We walked up the steps inside of it, up to a tomb that was inside of it. It's really cool and everything like it. We saw this great big pool that was beautiful stuff. It was all great. And then as we were leaving, getting ready to get on the tour bus, there's these little kids, these little five, six, seven, eight-year-old kids, quarter, quarter, and, and they're trying to sell like these tokens. They're, they're, they're actually little statues, little images of the monument of sacrifice where the Mayan Indians sacrificed things to pagan gods. And we thought, oh, little kids, you know, it'd be a great souvenir. And so we buy this little statue of this place of sacrifice to pagan gods. Now, 37 years later, I'm thinking you're an idiot. But anyway, at the time, it seemed a good idea at the time. We put it in our suitcase. We fly back home. We get back to Tennessee. And for the next seven days, everything that could go wrong outside of one of us dying was going wrong. And we finally, together, look, and it's like, it's that idol. It's on the shelf in our bedroom. It's that idol. And so we had got the idol somewhere in the mountains of East Tennessee. Hopefully nobody bought that piece of land and built a house on it because underneath of it somewhere, there's a little green idol. We got it out of our house and things changed immediately. Don't think that stuff's not real. And some of you got stuff in your house right now that it may not be in the form of a pagan God, but you got stuff that you know is pagan. It's still in your house. It's in the refrigerator, it's in the cabinet in the back, it's in the back of your underwear drawer because you think nobody can see it there. Or it's in a relationship, it's in things that you're doing and some of us need to just get rid of the idols. So what do you need to repent of? Second question, when have you done something you knew God showed up? 
Because you probably wouldn't be here this morning if God hadn't shown up sometime in your life. And you're coming back going, okay, yeah, I, I know, there's a victory. There's a victory there. God showed up. I didn't see how I could do it, but God showed up. There's no way we should still be married, but God showed up. There's no way I should still be alive. The tumors were everywhere, but God showed up. There's no way my kid should have ever come back home, but he did, and God showed up because God showed up. There's all these things where you know good. What are those victories in your life? And question number three is, who are you going to tell about it this week? Who are you going to tell about it this week? I want you to write those things on your card. I want you to take that card and I want you to put it someplace special at least for the next week, maybe for the rest of your life, I don't know. But someplace where it's, it, it's, on, your, it's on the dashboard of your vehicle, it, it, it's on your mirror, it, it's on your desk, at the office, whatever, where you'll see it. And then I want to give you something else as you leave today. When we're done today as you're leaving and all the communion tables, you may have seen them there, there are some stones. If you didn't already grab one, I want you to grab one of those stones. I want it to be your reminder of an Ebenezer stone, of a stone where it's, Samuel said, let's build a monument so we never forget what God did right here. And that you have that stone and that card and allow God to make a difference in your life this week so the church can be the church. Here's all we got left. I'm going to sit down and be quiet. Lights are going to start coming down. A video is going to play. I want you to listen intently to the video. It's about the church. It's about how it's our time to be the church. How the church needs to rise. And as soon as the video's over, I want you to grab a stone, take your car, get out of here, go love God, love people, and watch Him change the world. But if on this Pentecost weekend you want to talk about giving your life to Christ like so many thousand did on Pentecost, I'll be sitting right down here on the front stage. I'd love to talk to you about it. But right now, it's time. It's time to be the church. It's our time. We must rise up and no longer disparage. It's our time, church, to honor our heritage. We have a Savior. He gave it all on the cross. We stand beside martyrs who counted nothing as loss. They took God's mysteries, opened them up for us. Stephen, John the Baptist, Bonhoeffer, Jan Hus. Surrounded by a cloud of witnesses above, it's now our turn to model His unending love. Our mission is one we cannot confuse, nor muddy up with some trite excuse. You say you're not well-versed, ready, or able. I think Moses even tried to use that fable. The time we have, it's now more urgent. If we should hear, well done, faithful servant. Yeah, church, it's our time. It's our time to confess the ways we're mangled, the sins and selfishness that have us entangled. Lust, greed, and pride, their path leads to the grave. Yet we return to our sins as if we're a slave. Can we survive in this putrid dead sea? I quote Paul, may it never be. So let's cast aside our individual leprosy and begin to leave a biblical legacy. There's a glorious prize awaiting to be won, and the way to win is to start to run. Let's lace them up and fight the good fight, become to the world both salt and light. Our life on earth is merely a vapor. Our chapter must move from pen to paper. So church, 
let's get to writing because it's our time. It's our time, church. We have what it takes to help the world from its slumber awake. To Jesus, we are his beautiful bride. Whom shall we fear with him on our side? We have each other. We are not alone. It's iron to iron in the combat zone. There's a promise of life full of adventure. As long as we give both talents and treasure, the workers are few, the harvest is plenty, with so many lives running on empty. Scores of people trying to cope, they've come to the end of their proverbial rope. Young eyes are wandering, looking for direction. Make sure we point them to His resurrection. The clock's ticking, we're on our dime. Hey church, rise up! It's our time.